This is The Guardian. Today, California's homelessness crisis and the people forced to live out in the desert. California is a deeply divided state. Divided between the rich of Silicon Valley and the poor of Skid Row. Between the natural beauty of its national parks and coastline and the way that many parts of its cities have been left to ruin. If California were a country, its economy would be the fifth biggest in the world. But amid this incredible wealth, are more than 100,000 people who are homeless. It's the number one issue in California right now. I'm based in Los Angeles, and it's really just hard to avoid this humanitarian catastrophe that is all around us. You know, there are unhoused people sleeping under bridges and tents in parks um, in so many different places in really, really dangerous conditions. People living in downtown San Diego say homelessness is a big problem. The homeless began camping alongside Interstate 80 in Berkeley some time ago because, as they often say, they have nowhere else to go. A massive street cleanup now underway in Oakland. Crews there began removing a sprawling homeless encampment. About five unhoused people die every single day in Los Angeles County. It's just a really striking statistic that always stays with me, um, and that's gotten worse during the pandemic. Hundreds of volunteers will be out and about here in the OC. They're pretty much taking a census um, of the homeless population. In fact, officials say they are estimating about a 10% change in the OC's homeless population since the pandemic. So for the next few days, volunteers... LA County officials have for decades been failing to properly help people living on the streets. And now it's getting worse. The police in some areas are being so aggressive towards rough sleepers that they're forcing them out of the cities and into the Mojave Desert. And out here, it's too hot. It's too hot. Like, the sun does damage. From The Guardian, I'm Hannah Moore. Today in Focus... Why are homeless people in California having to live out in the desert? Sam Levin, you're a reporter for Guardian US, and as part of your work on California's homelessness crisis, you visited a place called Lancaster, a city which is on the northern outskirts of Los Angeles County. What made you decide to go there in particular? So I'm based in the city of Los Angeles, you know, not far from Hollywood. And where I'm based, you know, there are a lot of advocacy groups, human rights groups that, you know, closely scrutinize what's happening in terms of the treatment of unhoused people here. But when you go up an hour north to Lancaster, there's just a lot less attention. And the people there are particularly vulnerable because there's just you know, fewer sort of eyes on that region. And so, you know, I've heard lots of concerns over the years about human rights violations and wanted to go up there and just see for myself what people were facing. What's Lancaster like? 
It feels like a completely different world than the city of Los Angeles, even though it's just an hour drive up north. It's definitely more conservative. It has a Republican mayor. You know, when I was driving up there, you see signs that are anti-abortion and sort of religious signs along the freeway. And it's just sort of a quieter, sleepier place than the, the city of L.A. Right. And in Lancaster, how have the authorities been treating people who are sleeping on the streets? So the authorities in Lancaster have been very aggressive at trying to stop people from sleeping outside anywhere in the city. So I actually got police records from the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, which found all the different sort of citations that people had been given, unhoused people, by police. And just because the language that our police forces use is slightly different, sure. would you be able to just explain what a citation is? It's essentially, it's a ticket. In some cases, it can be a warning. In other cases, it can come with a fine. In some cases, it comes with a notice to appear in court. They give them a criminal record. And in some cases, they do lead to warrants out. You know, if you get a notice to appear in court for loitering and you don't show up because you're an unhoused person who is trying to survive every day that can turn into a warrant, which means the next time that the sheriff's deputies stop you, they can take you to jail. I've printed some out and I can read them for you if you're interested. Yeah, please. A sheriff's officer writes, I saw the suspect sitting on the ground for approximately three to four minutes. Upon contact with the suspect, the suspect stated she was hanging out. And that's in violation of the loitering law. And so then this person got a citation for hanging out for approximately three to four minutes. You know, and it kind of goes on and on. There's there's a few that really stuck out to me. It was people who said they were basically just sitting to be in the shade because they weren't patronizing the businesses nearby. They were given a citation for loitering. Wow. Okay. And that's just for hanging around, being the wrong sort of looking person who's hanging around for two minutes too long. Exactly. And people will end up in a cycle of jail or debt or both um, just because of their interactions with folks. These people are doing the same thing that any other person does, right? I could just be waiting outside the store for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, and I won't be stopped because of the way I look. But because their clothes are ragged, because they've been living outside, they do get stopped. And it is worth noting that Black folks are highly overrepresented um, in the population of people who have been stopped by the sheriff's department there. So there are clear racial disparities in just the numbers of people who are stopped. And that adds to the sort of human rights and civil rights concerns of the groups that are working on this. And when the police try to move people on, where are they moving them to? Yeah, so that's one of the things that drew me to reporting on this is because this is at the northern tip of Los Angeles, just over the border of the city of Lancaster, the northernmost city, is the Mojave Desert, which is essentially located in unincorporated Los Angeles County area. That means it's not affiliated with any city. It is still technically within the county boundaries, but it's basically a no man's land. And so what's happened in Lancaster and what I found when I went there was that people who have been told they cannot camp in the city have essentially just been pushed further and further out, ending up in the literal desert where they are removed from the city, removed from those complaints. So, I mean, is it fair to say that the police are forcing them out there? It's fair to say that the police are 
giving them no other options. And certainly if you talk to people there, they will tell you that the police have essentially forced them to be out in the desert. And in the desert, you know, people are, of course, really vulnerable. I I obtained data which shows that the coroner's office has logged 246 deaths of unhoused people in Lancaster and the surrounding area. And that's since 2015. And 17 of those deaths were in the desert specifically. And those numbers are an undercount. I went on a sort of visit to the desert with the American Civil Liberties Union, which is, you know, major civil rights group with Eve Garrow, who is one of their main homelessness policy advocates. And so we essentially met in the city of Lancaster and then just drove out a couple miles to the desert. So you're you're okay with me carpooling with you? Amazing. When we're kind of driving out of town down these dirt roads, and it just very quickly and suddenly becomes quite desolate. There's no development out here. Uh, People have to literally walk through this desert terrain in order to get to to the developed part of town. Wow. It's just sort of sand in every direction. You know, there are mountains in the distance. But other than the people we encounter who are living in different places, it's just really desolate. You know, it kind of looks like, you know, some of these other national parks that are very popular places to visit here in California. But it's different here because people aren't meant to be living there. Yeah, I was in Joshua Tree National Park, which is near there a few weeks ago. And it's funny how the heat just takes you. Like, you think that you can go out and do a five hour walk. And after two hours, it's like, oh my goodness, I need to get out of this heat right now. Absolutely, yeah. It was about 90 degrees Fahrenheit, which is like 32 degrees Celsius. Gonna get up to about 90 here today. And today is like the, the, the coolest day of the week. It gets hotter here yeah. eventually, summer. Triple digit heat. It's very common, right? To me, it was just uh, extremely hot, extremely sort of exhausting, you know, and I was there for, you know, five, six hours and it just drains you. And I felt that dehydration. I felt that heat exhaustion. Samsa, tell me, what was it like when you got out of the car and saw what the situation was? Hey, how's it going? So people are sort of scattered out there and there are different communities that kind of form naturally by being out there. There are some people who are just in tents. There are a lot of people who do have trailers out there or just sort of broken down cars that they sleep in at this point. Who did you meet there? So we met, you know, a dozen or so people walking around to these different sites. Hey, I'm Sam. Another Sam right here. One person I met at the end of my visit was named Melissa Ivory. Well, so nice to meet you, Melissa. Nice to meet you, too. How are you doing today? Too blessed to be stressed. Too yeah. glad to be sad. She was just incredibly sweet and kind. She immediately asked if she could give me a hug. And, you know, she was sort of very just just happy to chat about her situation. And, you know, she's been out there for more than a year um, living in the desert um, in, in very difficult circumstances. So, uh, what's it been like for you out here? I mean, what have been the biggest challenges? I know people water, struggle with water, right? Water, like, that's the main necessity out here. Like, without water is death. Your skin starts drying up, you start looking old, it starts looking cracking. And once they crack, this dirt is like, this dirt has something in it that's amazingly infectious. 
like anybody out here with a cut or anything, you have to wash it with soap and water right away. If not, you'll develop bumps. Like, yeah, it's, it's really hard out here. Have you ever had any sort of close calls of just not having enough water? I know you're saying yes. your skin gets a certain color, but yes. like, what, what has that been like for you? That's, that's the worst experience in my life. It makes you think, um, it makes you feel like all kids feel like with asthma. That's like a last breath almost. And out here, it's too hot. It's too hot. Like, the sun does damage. And I didn't realize how much damage it does and how much energy it removes. Like, literally, I'll get up in the morning right before the sun gets up, and I'll start cleaning and stuff. And by the time the sun gets, like, halfway up, I'm, like, sitting down like I'm ready to sleep. Like, just knock out. Like, I had a whole day. And, and it irritates me. Like, you have stuff to do today. Like, but the sun out here is, like, it's a lot. And what had her life been like until this point? What had caused her to end up in a situation where she's been forced to camp out in the desert? Yeah, her story is complicated, like many folks who are living outside. And, you know, what, what I did gather from my conversation and what she told me is that, you know, she's from the area. She's been there since she was a kid. She's 37 years old now. And, you know, over the last few years, things have sort of fallen apart for her. Well, can I ask, how did you end up living out here? I became homeless um, right before the pandemic, or right when the pandemic started, yeah. I'm so sorry. And then I lost my job in, in between all of that. And my mom had just passed. It was kind of crazy because I was stuck in my mind, like, this is not really happening. Like, I did not set my life up for this. But now she's just dealing with the street life, you know, and she's just made that transition and now she, she's out there and it's really, really hard to get back on your feet once you fall into that. In the immediate future, what is she hoping for with her life? Because, you know, like you said, she had a job, she had a family, she was living a reasonably comfortable life, it sounds like. Does she hope to try and get that back? Yeah, I mean, I think she just needs housing and it seems so basic, but that is the reality of so many people out there. You know, the systems are super complicated and trying to navigate and, and getting housing, shelter, all these different things. But what people ultimately need and what she wants is permanent, stable housing. And she told me that, you know, she's in the process of getting a voucher for subsidized housing, which essentially means the government would cover the costs of, of some of the housing. But the problem is that people can get approved for those vouchers, but then they can't find a landlord or a place that will accept them. And so it's unclear if she'll find a place where she can actually use that voucher and actually get a roof over her head. Mm. You described a situation where people in Lancaster are being targeted by the police, essentially. And so I can't imagine that many of the people who've ended up in this situation have what you might call a good relationship with the police. Did Melissa say anything about that? How how does she feel towards the authorities? Yeah, I mean, Melissa and a lot of the folks I talked to feel like the police are just there to hassle and harass them. And so, you know, she's talked a lot about feeling harassed by them, feeling like they're trampling on her rights. Like, they use our rights like toilet paper out here, especially the officers. They use it like toilet paper, and they don't even have a toilet to flush it down. That's why it's so much trash out here. This is the people that's supposed to protect us. I would not ever call them for her help. I'm, I'm too scared of what they might do to me for fun. That's how many people feel. This, the sentiment is police aren't there to help them. And in many cases, they're actually making their situations much, much worse. Who else did you meet in the community? 
I met a lot of different people who have all sorts of different devastating stories. One woman I met was named Tracy Sutton. Answer a couple questions. I'd love to chat. I, I heard you're a good person to talk to. So it's Tracy, right? Yes. And it's okay with you if I record? And she has multiple health issues, disabilities, has trouble walking these days, you know, and she's been really trying to get any kind of housing support from the government. You know, she doesn't want to be in those conditions. It's very bad for her health. I think she told me she has one kidney. And so there's just lots of struggles. One thing that stuck out to me about her story was she emphasized to me that she's from Lancaster. She grew up in Lancaster. She said that, you know, like, this is my home. This is my place this you know why should I have to leave and how do you feel about being pushed out of the city horrible I mean this is like this is my home my home why should I leave my home yeah well said I have a home I said but she was forced out of the city because she was told she can't camp there anymore and so now she's in this desert situation just like praying for any sort of solution i met another man named timothy galloway jr who you know told me he's had lots of various run-ins with the law and he just talked about how much he doesn't trust law enforcement because you know they've tried to give him tickets and all of this stuff and he's in a, a difficult situation living kind of near melissa and he was just very anxious because they actually had put up a new sign near him in the desert that said no trespassing. Look, they just came and red flagged it right there. See the sign? Yeah, I saw that. You see him say what it says yeah, right there? Yeah, yeah. No, no parking. Picture Look, no parking. No nothing, right? At any time, you will be prosecuted, is what it says. It's not clear sort of why that sign was put up or who put that up or what that means. But when I was hanging out with him and just sort of talking to him, you know, he said to me, like, you could be prosecuted for standing here. I could be prosecuted for standing here. And to me, it just sort of illustrated the fears that people have there. They're just so worried about police bothering them at any moment. Coming up, why is homelessness so acute in California? And what are the authorities doing to try and help people out of it? Sam, in California, it's so clear to see the division between rich and poor people. I mean, in LA, all along the beachfront, there are tents set out where people are living in San Francisco as well, which has some of the highest rents in the world, people are living out on the streets, many of them with very visible hard drug addictions, people who are very, very distressed living out there. Why is it that there's so much homelessness in such a rich state? Yeah, it's really awful um, and it's everywhere. And just the signs of the inequality, as you say, are so visible. You know, where I am in Hollywood, you have like the glitz and glamour of Hollywood. And then just right, you know, down the street, you have people who are living in these horrible conditions where their lives are at risk. The Super Bowl at SoFi means tourists will be flooding the streets of L.A. And one thing on full display almost anywhere you go, our unrelenting homeless problem. And so the reasons for this are, are complicated California has such a high cost of living and just an extreme lack of available, affordable housing. More than, you know, 1.5 million renters in the state spend half of their earnings on rent, which can leave people in a situation where they're just 
one emergency away from homelessness, you know, one medical emergency in America can give you all these bills and then suddenly you can't pay rent and you end up on the street. And California also has really, really low rates of home ownership. And so many, many people are renters and that creates a situation where anyone in crisis could be at risk of homelessness. And so many of the people who are sleeping on the streets also really need support with their mental health. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that happens to folks who are on the street is that their physical and mental health can deteriorate quite rapidly. People are outside in just these impossible situations that, you know, any of us who haven't experienced it can't fully understand. As a result, people end up struggling further with both mental illness and with drug addiction and drug use. They need treatment. You know, they need mental health treatment. They need rehab. They need help. Um, And most of all, they need housing. I'd imagine that the pandemic has also had an impact on how many people are finding themselves homeless. You know, a lot of people have lost their jobs for a start. We don't have good numbers yet for how much the homelessness crisis has gotten worse during the pandemic, but all signs point to it getting much worse. Um, And that's just the reality of what you see on the street, but also cities are just starting to see more people needing services. Life got a lot harder for people during the pandemic. People, of course, lost work and, you know, California had a long sort of shutdown. And so people weren't getting income and weren't getting enough help. And, you know, there were some protections in place that were supposed to prevent people from getting evicted. But the reality is, is that people were continuing to be pushed out of their homes. California is in many ways a liberal state. You know, cannabis is legal. People's right to have an abortion is at least at the moment being defended. It's a state controlled by the Democrats. So maybe people would imagine that lawmakers there would be taking an active, compassionate approach towards homeless people. That is what you would think in a state like California that prides itself on being sort of the most liberal state in the country and the defender of human rights. But the reality is is that voters are very angry about the crisis. People are angry about having to walk near tents and having to pass unhoused people on their way to the stores. And as a result, politicians are really feeling the pressure to come up with quick solutions. You know, and this is what a lot of experts who look at the situation say is that, you know, they're so focused on these quick solutions that they're not actually looking at the long-term solutions. And so you have politicians who feel a lot of pressure to basically disappear this problem when you can't disappear this problem because you can't just disappear people. Sam, there are nonprofits like the ACLU and charities who work with homeless people across California. What do they say that the authorities need to do to sort this out? Especially in a place like Lancaster, the authorities uh, should be treating this like a humanitarian crisis. That's the position of the ACLU, who has strongly urged, you know, elected officials to bring humanitarian aid to people living out in the desert. That's step number one, right? Find ways for them to have water and regular showers. And, you know, it's the most basic things that you should provide to anyone in in any kind of humanitarian crisis. They've pushed for them to stop criminalization. And so stop these policies that lead to people being ticketed, being fined for, in essence, existing as an unhoused person. And then beyond that, you know, there needs to be an even more sort of concerted effort to expand 
permanent supportive housing and housing options that will work for these people. Um, and there is a lot of new funding going into that, but the problem is that you know, it takes a long time to build new housing and it's just not coming quickly enough. Are there any state officials that we should mention who have been particularly active on this in trying to at least offer some solutions? The governor of California, Gavin Newsom, has made this issue a top priority. We put out a budget, unprecedented in U.S. history, not California history. $14 billion over the next few years will be invested for interventions out on the streets, dealing with underlying issues long-term, but also short-term solutions. And, let me and there are absolutely unprecedented investments going into homelessness across California, in Los Angeles. We're seeing more money spent on this issue than ever before. But the reality is, is it's still not enough. Um, it's not enough to meet the continuing inflow of people into homelessness. And the housing that is coming on the market is helping some people, but it's not helping everyone. And it's not leading to people on the streets getting off the streets. You have some officials in Congress and beyond, you know, who have pushed for more funding for affordable housing. Um, but the reality is, is this is not not necessarily like a priority for the White House or President Biden. It's not something that he's made a central issue in his presidency. And, you know, we're not seeing a concerted effort to help folks. Have you spoken to Melissa since you were out there doing the recording? I have not. And um, I've actually been trying to reach her to, to just catch up and see how she's doing. But that's one of the challenges of the desert is that people end up kind of disappeared. They end up in really difficult situations where you can't reach them. And when people are pushed out to the margins, it makes it harder for them to get housing and harder for them to get services. There will be people who will be on waiting lists and for housing and they'll finally get to the top of that list. And then outreach workers can no longer find them because police have told them they can't be in their longtime camping spot. And so they've disappeared and then they lose that spot. So how hopeful do you feel that for her and for the other people that you met, that things will improve in the short term? You know, it's really hard to say. I think what the folks that I met have going for them is that they're in touch with the ACLU and these advocates who really go out weekly to drop off water and food, and they work really hard to be in touch with officials and try to get them housing. But sometimes it takes years. And so I have hope that these folks have the right relationships and contacts and folks advocating for them that they'll get the support they need. But it's uncertain. And, you know, some people don't don't survive. Sam, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. That was Sam Levin. You can read his reporting project, Unhoused and Unequal, A California Crisis, at theguardian.com. Sam went to the city of Lancaster for a statement on how it's dealing with homelessness. A spokesperson said that the city of Lancaster is strongly committed to helping people progress from homelessness into more permanent housing solutions. Our multifaceted approach involves our 14-acre Kensington campus facility, the Lancaster Community Homelessness Plan, tailored specifically to our community's needs, and a number of key partnerships, including our Homeless Impact Commission. The city's mayor, R. Rex Paris, also said that we hold ourselves to the highest standards and believe that it is our responsibility to provide for the safety of our citizens. Changes to state laws and other steps in reforming the criminal justice system 
have been and are being implemented at the state and county level, including a focus on diverting persons charged with misdemeanor offences away from criminal proceedings. It continues to be in the public interest that persons who commit misdemeanor offences be held accountable for their crimes. Today's episode was produced by Natalie Chtena and sound designed by Axel Kukutier. Our executive producers are Phil Maynard and Elizabeth Cassin. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian.